Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 18. We're continuing to go through the Gospel Record of Luke and walking with Jesus in observing the life and ministry of Jesus Christ while he was on this earth through the gospel record of Luke. Now, in the passage that we're at, we've been witnessing as Jesus Christ is slowly making his way to the city of Jerusalem. When he gets to the city of Jerusalem, he is going to be betrayed. He's going to be put on a false trial. He is going to be crucified, buried on a borrowed tomb, and he is going to rise again the third day. And while he's walking on this path to Jerusalem, he is trying to prepare his disciples and trying to prepare his followers to let them know about how to live for Christ, trying to make sure that they understand salvation, understand the new life that Christ has offered to them. At the same time, the Pharisees have been harassing Jesus Christ, trying to discredit him, trying to trip him up, trying to make him to look bad. And they've been doing everything they can. And so with these two groups witnessing and watching Jesus Christ, Jesus is continuing to work with those people when an individual comes in the midst of them and interrupts and stops everything. Let's pick it up in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 18. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 18, and if you don't mind, let's pick it up starting at verse number 15. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 15, or 18, starting at verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, savest one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through an 
a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, and in the world to life uh, to come, life everlasting. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 18? The Gospel record of Luke in chapter 18, and notice the part of the question that the rich young ruler had asked Jesus Christ. Notice with me in the Gospel record of Luke chapter 18 and verse number 18. Notice that last phrase, eternal life. Eternal life life. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach to you and show you from this message what eternal life is and what eternal life is not. We want to show you eternal life. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm asking that you would put your Holy Spirit and engage it in this message, Lord. These folks do not need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And we could trust you to do your work. That if there's someone in here that does not know for sure that their sins are forgiven, they do not know for sure that they have eternal life as a present possession. We're asking that you, by your spirit, would convict them and draw them near and show them the answer of Jesus Christ and Jesus crucified. I'm asking that you would let it be simple, let it be understood, let it be a help, and that you would help us to respond properly. Lord, I'm casting all of my dependence upon you that I dare not trust my own. I need you and you alone to do this work. Just use me as your instrument, however you see fit. Thank you that we could trust you in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the gospel record of Luke in chapter 18, a very big event occurs. That as the crowd is preaching, of course, this is mentioned in the gospel record of Matthew and the gospel record of Mark, which fills out some of the details. But Jesus was teaching, and in the midst of him teaching, the crowd parts. And this rich young ruler comes stepping in. Now this is significant because first of all he's young. Normally it's the older people who have the positions of authority and power. But the Bible specifically says that he is young. He's a younger man. He's also very rich. The Bible describes him in another passage that he's wearing purple. And so it's a, it's a sign, it's significant that he is of great uh, personal wealth. And so he steps in and because of his manner, because of his 
his way that he carries himself because of his position, the crowd just parts for him. And this young man comes to Jesus and he kneels in front of the Lord and Savior and he asks him a question. A certain ruler, in verse 18, uh, asked him saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And that is a very valid question. Jesus has been teaching quite a bit about eternal life and that you can have this eternal life. God has promised it as a present possession. And he wanted to know, but there were some things that he had misunderstood about eternal life. And if you don't mind, we'd like to take this passage here and explain what eternal life is and what eternal life is not. And make it as clear as possible for our own understanding. The first thing I'd like to show you in this passage here is eternal life is simple. Eternal life is simple. Notice with me in verse number 15. And they brought unto him also infants that he, Jesus, would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him rebuke them. So here's a scenario that Jesus is teaching. And as Jesus is teaching, here's all these parents who want Jesus to bless their baby. And so they're trying to get their babies to Jesus and let Jesus touch them. And just if I could get the blessing, if I could get the the touch of Jesus upon my child. And it's because Jesus is trying to work, the disciples around them who often had misunderstandings, they're saying, we don't need to bother with these kids. They can't help us out. Get away. You're bothering the master. Quit saying, touch my kid. Bless my kid. They're trying to chase him away. Now they think they're doing well by trying to protect Jesus, by trying to protect the master, by trying to keep uh, the riffraff away, trying to keep the distractions away. But Jesus wasn't pleased with this. Notice in verse 16. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So he looks at them and says, Listen, don't don't send away the kids. Let everyone come to me. Let the little children come to me. Let the babies come. Let them all come. Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so with this, he's going to give a teaching. Verse 17. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And so when Jesus Christ is telling them to let them come, he's saying the reason why is because there's a simplicity of a child. Do you know children will believe whatever you tell them? Because kids keep things simple. Do you know that most people who come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before the age of 18? The majority of people who get saved, meaning that they've come to the place where they realize that they're a sinner and that because of their sin they've offended a holy righteous God, but they come to the place where they've heard that Jesus Christ died for them and they accept that free gift. Most people who get saved get saved before the age of 18. In fact, if someone is taught the Bible properly and they're taught how to follow after Christ by the ages of 5 to 7, they will normally have a tendency to follow Christ for the rest of their life because it sets up, they develop a a faith that will affect them for the rest of their life. But the principle Jesus is teaching as we apply it to eternal life is that children can come because it is simple enough for them to understand it. You know, 
faith in Christ is very simple. It is adults that make things very complicated. Well, I like to think that I have eternal life, but this and this and this. Well, I think I'd like to follow after Christ, but this and this and this. Well, I think I should read my Bible, but this and this. They make things complicated. Children keep things simple. What is the simple truth? The simple truth is so simple that even children can understand it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that is simple? What is the simple truth? I believe in Christ and what he has done for me. Simple. We make things complicated. People like to complicate things and say, in order to go to heaven, you have to get baptized. In order to go to heaven, you have to participate in the sacraments. In order to go to heaven, you have to be a good person. In order to go to heaven, you have to pay money to the church. In order to go to heaven, you have to go to church. In order to go to heaven, you have to stand on your foot and wave in the air. In order to go to... They make things complicated. That's what religion does, by the way. Faith in Christ is always simple. Taking God at his word. That Jesus did all the price for us. He paid all the price on Calvary. All we have to do is accept the free gift that he offered us. Eternal life is simple. We make things complicated. And so the first principle we see here as Jesus is working with children. Dealing with the idea of eternal life. Is that eternal life is simple. The second thing that we want to see about eternal life is that eternal life cannot be earned. Eternal life cannot be earned. With that, we come to the rich young ruler as he begins to interact with the Lord and Savior. Notice with me in verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see, his first problem right away was this, what can I do? What shall I do? You see, once again, they've already made things complicated. Jesus finished it all at the cross of Calvary. But he had in his mind that he wanted to help God along. He wanted to do something. In fact, religion promotes us quite a bit that we have to do something in order to go to heaven. We have to do something to earn, inherit, receive eternal life. The, <laughs> the simple truth is trusting in Christ. So Jesus begins to deal with this man according to his question. Remember the man came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now while we go through, may I also remind you that he's not teaching to the masses. He's not teaching to the crowd. He's dealing with an individual one-on-one -on -one to help the individual realize his need of a savior. But he starts off with the wrong premise. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, I want to do something. What is my checklist? What am I supposed to do? Give me a task. Give me a quest. Give me something to do. Do you know if you had talked to this young man and said, in order to go to heaven, you have to go slay a dragon? This man legitimately would have went to go find a dragon to go slay. 
If you would have told this young man, in order to go to heaven, you have to go walk this flight of steps on your knees. And every step you have to take and pause and pray. You know, that's what some religions have asked their people in times past. He would have done that if that was what was given to him. He, if you would have told this young man that in order to go to heaven, you have to give a million dollars. This man would have tried everything he could to give a million dollars. And so he had in his mind, what can I do? And because he asked the Jesus this question this way, Jesus is going to interact to try to bring his understanding different to show him there's nothing he can do. In fact, notice as Jesus starts, verse 19, Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. So the principle that Jesus is teaching is that humans are not good and they're not perfect. There is none righteous, no, not one. We start off with the principle that everything that we know about heaven is that heaven is perfect. In heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. The problem is, is that we are not perfect. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the standard is not, am I good enough for heaven? The standard is, are you perfect enough for heaven? And none of us are good. None of us are perfect. None of us have ever lived a single light day in our life where we did not mess up something. Whether it was a bad thought or losing your temper or telling a little white lie. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus starts off with this idea that only God is perfect. That humans are not perfect. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he's starting with this idea now. He's repeating this idea that we could be good enough for heaven. You cannot. So Jesus then brings them to the Ten Commandments. He begins to quote to him several of them. Notice with me in verse 20. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit Adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Jesus begins to quote him several of the Ten Commandments. And the purpose of it is, is that if you want to earn your way to heaven, if you want to somehow get into heaven because of what you do, then you have to start off by keeping every single one of the Ten Commandments. Well, we know that's impossible. None of us have been able to live our life without breaking any of the commandments. Let's, let's uh, put a survey. The Bible says, and Jesus quotes, thou shall not bear false witness. We would say, don't tell lies. All right, let's do a survey. How many of you have told a lie before? Raise your hand. All right. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> We've all told lies. All right. So we've broken that law. Well, the Bible gives a quote here. Jesus quotes it and says that to honor thy father and thy mother. We would say it this way, that we're supposed to obey our folks. All right. Well, how many of you have ever disobeyed your folks? Raise your hand. Parents are looking at their kids to make sure they raise their hands. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. The Jesus says, if you want to earn your way to heaven, if you want to, in, to do something to get to heaven, you have to start by not breaking any of the commandments. But all of us have broken the commandments. All of us have fallen short. And what Jesus is doing is trying to work with this young man to let him realize he is not perfect enough to heaven. This is a very important step because if someone doesn't believe they're a sinner, 
then there's nothing they can be saved from. They have to first of all believe that they're a sinner. I remember once having a young lady come into the office who was great with child. Uh, and she was asking if, she, if I would marry her and her, her boyfriend. And so I said, before we do that, we have to ask some things. And so I began to give her the plan of salvation. And as I began to talk with her, uh, she wasn't convinced that she was a sinner. So we went through the Ten Commandments just like Jesus taught. I said, have you ever disobeyed your folks? She goes, well, I didn't have any folks. My, my parents abandoned me when I was young. So I never had an opportunity to disobey them. Okay. Well, the Bible says that to uh, bear false witness, that not to tell lies. I said, have you ever told a lie? She goes, I've been very conscious for all of my life never to tell a lie. Okay. Well, you know, she's having a hard time understanding she's a sinner. So I said, okay, how about this one? Do not commit adultery. And I said, here, it carries the idea of any sexual sin outside of marriage. I said, have you ever committed that sin? Well, she looked down at her very expectant belly and said, I may have committed that one. Well, you see, the whole thing is that she was having a hard time admitting that she was a sinner. That's what the Ten Commandments tell us is that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And if we wanted to somehow work our way to heaven, earn our way to heaven, do something to get to heaven, then the qualification Jesus said is that you have to be perfect and not break any of God's Ten Commandments. But every single one of us have broken that commandment. We've all fallen short. There's nothing we can do of ourselves. So as Jesus tells this young man, notice what he says in verse 21. And he said, all these things have I, I have kept from my youth up. Now, I want to believe this young man, that this is a young man who has tried to live a good moral life. He's tried to live a very good life, and he's done it conscientiously. But the problem is, is that he's not admitting that he's a sinner. He still thinks he can make his way to heaven. No, no, I haven't sinned since I've been a teenager. Since I was a kid, I have purposely tried to live my life perfectly and right. He still has an idea that he can earn his way to heaven. He has an idea that he could do something. So notice what Jesus does. Now remember, Jesus is dealing with an individual, not a crowd. And he's dealing with an individual to try to work with them to show them that he was falling short of God's glory. That eternal life can't be earned. So Jesus deals with an individual and says, all right, if you are perfect, verse number 22. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, yet lackest thou one thing. And another passage it says, if thou be perfect, if you think that you are without sin, then here, here's what I want you to do. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So he says, if you truly want to earn, now remember, he's answering according to the man's question. If you want to earn, if you want to do something, then you lack one thing. You've been trying to live a good moral life, great. Then what you need to do is sell all that you have Give to the poor. God will give you rewards in heaven. And you come and follow me. Now remember, he's dealing with an individual. The problem was not the man's possessions. Jesus is not teaching that in order to be a Christian, in order to go to heaven, that we have to go become monks and sell all of our stuff and not have any possessions. But he's dealing with an individual who possessions have possessed him. 
It's not the idea that possessions are wrong. It is wrong when possessions have a control over our life. And Jesus knew that because he knows everyone. And so here the man has got a choice. He asked Jesus publicly, what must I do to go to heaven? And the conclusion of it says, if you are perfect, if you want to earn your way to heaven, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. How is this man going to respond? This is very public. Is he going to get rid of all of his stuff? Is he going to prove how perfect he is? The Bible says, verse 22, 23, And when he, the rich young ruler, heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And in the other gospel records, he walked away. He walked away very sorrowful. He's broken hearted because he did not want to get rid of his stuff. He thought he could earn his way to heaven. He thought he could do something to heaven. But when it came down, if it was to slay a dragon, he would do it. If, if he would have to go give some money, he would do it. If he had to go do some special quest, find some artifact, find some hidden treasure, he would do it. But to get rid of his stuff, he couldn't do that. That was something he wouldn't cross. There was something holding him back. And so Jesus is working with an individual to show this man to prove that he was not perfect. Now the correct response from this guy was to say, Jesus, that is something I'm not able to do, alright? If I can't earn heaven, how can I go to heaven? And we could have changed the whole thing. But the man still walked away having all of his stuff. Because he could not earn eternal life. He walked away from Jesus and he walked away from the truth still holding all of his possessions because his possessions had him. So Jesus Christ is dealing with a man who asked, what must I do to have eternal life? And in this passage in Luke chapter 18, we're learning what eternal life is and what eternal life is not. We saw that eternal life is simple. We see that eternal life cannot be earned Here's something else. Eternal life cannot be bought. Eternal life cannot be bought. Notice with me verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, so as the man's walking away, the crowd's now watching. They're, they're, they're in shock. Here's this rich man who came and talked to Jesus and he walked away. Has all of his stuff and the crowd is shocked. They're astonished, it says in a different passage. And Jesus turns to the crowd and gives commentary on what just happened. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What a powerful passage. Do you know, Jesus is giving commentary that these people wanted to pay money. When people are trusting in riches, they're trusting in their riches to solve all of their problems. They're trusting in their riches to solve everything. In a news article that came out in USA Today in 1997, they interviewed the top 1% of wealth in America. The 
tippy top. And they asked them that if you could buy anything with your money, whether real or imagined, what would you get? What would you buy? And how much would you be willing to pay for it? And of the top five answers, they had things like eternal youth. They had uh, everlasting beauty. They had happiness. But number one, out of the top 1% of the wealth in the world, number one on that list, far above everything else that was given, was a home in heaven. And they were willing to pay for upwards of almost $1 million in order for them to be guaranteed a home in heaven. When Jesus Christ is giving this commentary that talking about those that trust in riches, what happens is that when people are trusting in riches, they're expecting their riches to purchase and buy everything. And they have in mind that if I could buy eternal life, I would buy eternal life. But eternal life cannot be bought. You can't go because of your own goodness and you can't do it to pay for. The Bible says it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man shall boast. God made it so the only way we can get to heaven is by trusting Christ and Christ alone. When we go to heaven, we can't say, well, how I got to heaven is I paid money. How I got to heaven is I was a good person. How I got to heaven is because I did all these good things. The only thing that we could brag on when we get to heaven is that Jesus did it. Jesus did it alone. We can't trust in anything else because it is Christ and Christ alone. That eternal life cannot be bought. We see something else. Eternal life produces works. Eternal life produces works. Now if you could imagine, the disciples are starting to think. They watch this rich young ruler approach Jesus, reject Jesus' offer... And they walked away. He walked away still having all of his wealth. And the disciples start thinking, wait a second. I left my parents. Four of them left a, a lucrative fishing business. One of them left his mansion and his wealth and closed up his successful business. A lot of them walked away from good jobs and good opportunity. And they watch this guy walk away and they've given up everything and their little minds start going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What are we getting out of this? We never thought about this before. What do we get out of it? We gave away everything. Now that the idea of money is in there, the idea of possessions, well, if he didn't give up anything, we gave up everything. What's in it for us? Notice verse number 27. <clears throat> and they said unto him, Who then can be saved? He said, With the things, uh, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I'm so thankful that God could work in anyone's life. Verse 28, Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And they continued the question, What do we get out of this? What's in it for us? Verse 29, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children for the kingdom of God's sake. For the purpose of following after Christ. Who, have not, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. And so Peter and the disciples are thinking in their mind, what do we get out of this? 
And like normally happened, the disciples said, hey, Peter, you go ask him. And they push him up front. And Peter says, all right, we got a question. And he asks, what are we getting out of this? What do we get from this? And Jesus is now saying, listen, because you left these things for the gospel's sake, for the purpose of spreading the gospel, the purpose of following after me, you're going to receive rewards. But notice this, there's an order. They did not leave all those things in order to get salvation. They left all those things because they had salvation. That's a difference. That I don't serve God. I'm not a pastor of a church in order to have eternal life. I'm pastoring and following after God because of what he's already done for me. That should be our motive. Our motive is different. I'm not, you're not here at church today. I'm hoping that you're not here in church because you think if you show up that you're doing God a favor and that God's going to help you have eternal life. No, you should be here because God has saved you and he's already done wonderful things and out of a thankful heart you are showing up. There is a difference of motive. Eternal life produces works, but it is not, it's not because we're trying to get eternal life. This is an important idea here. Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse <coughs> number 31, and we see one more thing. Eternal life comes from Jesus' death on the cross. Eternal life comes from death on the cross. Now we started off by saying eternal life is simple. It's so simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life is simple that even a child can understand it. Trust God's promises and receive his gift. We know that eternal life can't be earned. That none of us can live a good enough life. None of us are perfect enough. None of us are holy enough to receive eternal life because of our goodness, because of our works. It is the gift of God that for God commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners and Christ died for us. We, we can't earn our way to heaven. We understand that, <laughs> that eternal life cannot be bought. That we can't get eternal life by purchasing things or trying to curry favor. We know that eternal life does produce works because of what he's done for us, not in order to get from it. So the question is, what is eternal life? Where does it come from? Well, notice as Jesus takes his disciples and explains what is going to happen. And this explains eternal life. 30, verse 31. And he took unto him the twelve and said to them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all the things written of the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. May I pause here? All of the Old Testament talks about this eternal life as well. Whether it's Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Genesis chapter number 3 verse 14. All of this point that Jesus Christ was going to be the Lamb of God slain. For our sins. To pay our price. That God was sending his son to die for us. His Messiah. His anointed one. And so Jesus says all of the Old Testament spoke about this. Jesus is being consistent. The Bible's being consistent. God is being consistent. That it's always been faith in Christ. Trusting in God's promises. Verse 32. For he, Jesus, shall be delivered unto the Gentiles. Remember that Jesus Christ is going to be arrested. He's going to be put on a false trial. And because the Jewish people didn't have the authority to 
kill someone, they turn him over to the Gentiles and he's going to be examined by both Herod and Pilate. And shall be mocked. They're going to mistreat Jesus. It says they're going to he spitefully entreat it and spit it on. The Roman soldiers are going to line Jesus up. And they're going to take their fist and they're going to buffet him in the face. And they're going to say, who hit you? They're going to take his beard and just jerk it out of his face. Leaving chunks of flesh removed. They're going to spit on him. They're going to mock him. They're going to make fun of him. Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. Verse 33, and they shall scourge him. What they're going to do is they're going to take a device called a cat of nine tails. It's a whip with nine little straps with little hooks at the end of it. The first century historian Josephus says just after one lash, what would happen is that someone could take their finger and actually touch the bone of the victim that was scourged. And they took Jesus and they scourged him and they beat him until his back looked like hamburger meat. Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. They shall scourge him and put him to death. They're going to put Jesus Christ up on the cruel cross. And when they put him on the cross, what they're going to do is they're going to nail his wrist back in the ancient world, this was considered part of his hand. And inside of the wrist here is the median nerve, the most sensitive nerve in all the body. And as they nail that, that spike, they would hit that median nerve and it would feel like someone taking a pair of pliers and twisting it. The electrical shock would be awful. When Jesus Christ was put up on the cross... Most people who died on the cross, they died of suffocation, of asphyxiation. What would happen is that someone would be on the cross, their chest cavity would be caved over. And in order to take a breath, they would have to use their arm and leg strength just to straighten up, take a breath and go back down. But because Jesus was scourged beforehand, it was taking a breath was painful. Because the cross was not nice sanded wood like this. It was full of splinters and spikes and slivers. And just to take a breath, he would have to slide his bare back upon that wooden, rugged cross. And as he would slide back down, those spikes would go further into his open wounds of his back. Just to take a breath would be painful. As he would take a breath, that uh, wrist bones would grind around that nail as he would pull himself up and that nerve would burn and twitch with electricity as it was spiked. He died upon the cross because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something we earn. For example, when we go to work, we earn money. We call that a wage or a payment. The Bible says for the wages of sin. Sin is anything that we've done wrong against God. Jesus just gave part of the Ten Commandments. If you've ever disobeyed God in disobeying our folks, we have sinned and we owe God a wage. If you've ever told a lie, you have disobeyed God and you owe God a wage. If you have ever had a bad thought about adultery or a sin outside of marriage, you have broken God's law. You owe God a wage. You understand we are all guilty. And the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says <coughs> that for the wages of sin is death. 
What we owe God for one little lie is a death like the death of the cross. A cruel cross and we've done more than one. You understand there's not a single one of us who could pay our own wage. There's not a single one of us who could pay our own way. There's not a single one of us who could buy our way out of this. Something must die. Either us or someone as a substitute. And so Jesus Christ who was God so loved the world he didn't want to see anyone perish. He wanted all to come to repentance. So what Jesus did is he robed himself in flesh and came on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles and the same heartbreaks. And then he died on the cross to pay that wage, to pay that punishment, to pay that price that you and I owed him. And what's more is he did it for free. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God wants us to go to heaven. That he did everything. He paid the price. He paid it. All we have to do is receive that gift. To accept him. To believe on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But there's one more element of the gospel that Jesus mentions here in the gospel record of Luke 18. Notice in verse 33. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. They took the body of Jesus and they put him on a borrowed tomb. He was buried there for three days and on the third day he rose again. When Jesus Christ rose again on the third day it proved two things. It proved first of all that Jesus was indeed God. And it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. Meaning that the payment is paid in full. Jesus paid it all. All we have to do is be willing to accept that gift for ourselves, To allow him to pay that price on our behalf. That it is so simple that even children can receive it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. What a wonderful promise that is. That promise says that I don't earn my way to heaven. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I can't pay my way to go to heaven. That God gave me a gift and the gift was his son. And all I have to do is allow him to pay the price for me. To agree to his terms. That God said there is a wage to be paid. Jesus paid the wage for me. I have to be willing to accept those terms for myself. God has already accepted it. That's the proof of Jesus rising again the third day. God was satisfied. It's paid in full. It is covered. I have to be willing to allow him to pay that on my behalf. You understand this is simple that even a child can understand. We make things complicated. So the question then comes, do you have this eternal life as a present possession? It's not something you earn. It's not something you put on layaway. It's not something you work towards. It's something you either have or you don't have. How do I receive this gift? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty I owed God. That all I have to do is ask for it. And let me tell you that even a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. All we do when we pray is we're just asking God for that gift. We're receiving that gift. We're agreeing to the terms. He already did the work.
So the question again is, do you have eternal life as a present possession? Again, there's a lot of people who have religion that says, well, listen, I've been baptized. That it doesn't give you eternal life. Well, listen, I've taken mass. That does not give you eternal life. Let me tell you, I've done all these good things. That does not give you eternal life. It is a gift of God. Just like if I was to give you a gift, to get to, for you to take that gift, all you had to do was accept it. You didn't have to pay me money. You didn't have to mow my lawn. You didn't even have to be nice to me. Same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't even have to be a good person and help little ladies cross the street. Now, those are things that we should do and things we ought to do, but those things don't get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is to realize that I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I owe God a great price. I owe God death. I deserve hell. But Jesus paid the price for me. And I came to the place where I personally, on purpose, point action in time, ask Jesus to be my Savior. Once you have that, it becomes a present possession. Jesus has paid all of your price. The stuff you used to do, the stuff you did today, the stuff you did the future. I remember when I personally accepted the gift. I was in a vacation Bible school in Dallas, Texas. And I remember the pew I was sitting in when I had a preacher who loved me enough to tell me the same things I'm telling you now. That he opened the Bible and showed me from the Bible that I was a sinner. And I did not need to be convinced of that. I knew it. He showed me because of my sin, I owed God hell. I deserved to go to hell and I didn't want to go there. But the preacher loved me enough to show me from the Bible that Jesus died for me. And I remember where I was at, the pew I was sitting at when I bowed my head and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior on that day. And ever since then, I have had eternal life as a present possession. It is the gift of God. He doesn't take the gifts back. He's given it to us. It's mindful, free, and forever. We know that sometimes people will go to a funeral and it will say so-and-so entered eternal life on the day that they died. That is a falsehood. I entered eternal life the moment that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I have it as a present possession. And when I die, I continue with that eternal life that He promised me to be present with Him. So the question is, dear friend, with all seriousness, with all sobriety, seriousness, do you have, do you know for sure that you have eternal life as a present possession? Let me tell you, if you do not, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for you to recognize it. Let me tell you, you can get it settled here and now. It'd be our privilege to show you. All you have to do is talk to God and tell Him that you're a sinner. And using your own words, accept that gift for yourself. And he promised you. There's no magic words. There's no secret passage. It's the best you know how. Asking God to forgive you of your sins. Recognizing that you deserve to hell. You deserve to be separated from God. But you're asking him to forgive you of your sins. If you would like, we could help you with that. If you have more questions, we'd love to take the Bible and show you. And answer your questions. But we want you to walk out those doors today. Knowing without a doubt that you have eternal life as a present possession. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I have a science and medical background. I like that word know. It means to have knowledge of because of evidence. 
And God wants you to know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that you have everlasting life. Let me tell you, dear friend, if you don't know, the greatest privilege I would have is to be able to show you from the Bible and to help you get it settled today. That you can know without a doubt that you're going to heaven and why. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a preacher and not because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me and there was a time I received that gift. It's simple. We make things complicated. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.